We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Acts chapter 10, please, tonight, Acts chapter 10. I'd like you to uh, follow carefully as I uh, speak here on this uh, interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, Peter gets what I call a uh, culinary or dietary lesson in Acts chapter 10 here, starting in verse number 9. In Acts chapter 10, verse number 9, it says this, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, who is they? These are the three guys that Cornelius sent to Joppa from uh, Caesarea, was it? Uh, Where he was, Caesarea, uh, yes, in verse 1, to Joppa. To find Peter, because the angel came to Cornelius and said, send for Peter because uh, he is going to give you words that you need to hear. So he got two of his household servants, a devout soldier, sent them to Joppa. I think we said 35 miles away, quite a journey. Uh, They go there to uh, fetch Peter. So they draw near to the city. Then verse 9 continues. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Just pause there for a second. And notice that it was the sixth hour and Peter went up to pray. It's easy to read over that and just kind of, okay, hurry up and get to the rest of the story. But notice Peter didn't know who was coming. He didn't know what was happening. He just went up to the housetop to get away from the hubbub perhaps and have a quiet place to pray. He went to pray, to, to get away from others and to pray. You know what he was doing is following his Lord's example who went away to the mountains, went away overnight uh, in order to pray, and so Peter did similarly. Verse, uh, the sixth hour is about noon. Yes, and uh, it's getting on to the midday meal time, which we'll figure into the account here. Verse number 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. We understand that in this a vision that he saw, the sheet bound at the four corners, that there were animals of clean and unclean kind inside of there uh, for him to uh, eat, the picture was. Of course, he wasn't going to actually eat them. This is a vision, but he's being taught something here. All kinds of beasts, not just kosher ones, not just clean ones, but unclean as well. So Peter's saying, look, I can't, I can't participate in that. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. 
Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made in, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So to understand this passage the best, let's just, let me cut right to the chase, right down to the bottom line, okay? We need to understand two verses in this chapter. First is verse 15, which we've read already, but I'll read it again. And the second is verse 28. A voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now that is in the context of, this, of these animals uh, that Peter was supposed to use as food. Okay, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Then drop down to verse 28, which I know is past the end where I read, and we'll come to the exposition of that next time as God wills. But it says in verse 28, Then he said to them, So he's meeting Cornelius now, and he's talking to them. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, you see that? Maybe you want to highlight those verses in your Bible like I did in my Bible software. These two verses are the key to unlocking the meaning of the passage and clarifying for anyone who might be hung up on the Mosaic food laws what God's new rules of governance are all about. Yes? Uh huh. Mm hmm. Well, it could be it could be both. It's not. It doesn't specifically say. If you if you look at it, it says, uh, "In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air." In the law of Moses, some animals were clean and some were unclean. Some four-footed beasts were unclean. Some were clean. Some birds were clean. Some were unclean. So, but in any case, my my how can I say? Uh, supposition, I'll say, is that there there certainly were unclean animals in this bunch. And did those make the clean animals? Any, I would think that Peter would say, if these clean animals are chumming around with these unclean animals, I'm out. Okay. I don't. I'm not going to touch that. Yeah. So it would dis, it would defile the whole thing. So 
whether or not there are both kinds is really doesn't, it's not the biggest deal. We know that there are unclean animals there. There ha it has to be. It's not like, you know, God let down a sheet from heaven with, you know, three nice sheep in it that, that weren't any problem for Peter to eat. So, um, so Peter went up to pray. It's, it's midday, uh, and he encounters a vision from God. Now, this one's not an angel like Cornelius saw earlier the day before that, or uh, the, actually the next day, the next day. It uh, might have been two days fully, journey, that, that, the length of that journey. It seems like when Peter went back. But anyways, I take it, if they hurried along, they could have gotten perhaps that far in a day, maybe again two Notice Cornelius's vision was in the ninth hour of the day, so three around three in the afternoon. So at least 21 hours earlier, or a day in 21 hours, perhaps. We'll have to revisit that and do the calculations. It does seem uh, unlikely they'd be able to travel 35 miles, but that doesn't, you know, they could use animals to get there, horses and whatever they had, but uh, maybe camels, something. Um, but we have this you know, the next day. And God was obviously doing something major here because he sent an angel the one day. Now he's sending a vision the second day to an apostle. The midday meal was not coming soon enough for Peter. Uh, he got very hungry. And God used this to teach him something. Now, do, do be careful. You know, I can easily see somebody who is a little more, oh, what's the word, um, cavalier or irreverent saying oh well he was obviously so hungry he start he just his brain couldn't get off of food uh you know he was a bit too hungry food on the brain and so he he's thinking about this or or you know having a daydream about you know lunch god is clarifying for us that this is not just a uh, random daydream that there's uh, a message from heaven in this. Now, it says a sheet, um, like a great sheet bound at the four corners. So it's, that's kind of have to picture it. It's not like a, a flat sheet, but it's like the kind of gathered up and there's a, a space inside of it for these animals to be standing or lying down or whatever they're doing. Maybe they weren't even alive yet. Maybe they were still, they, maybe they were pictured to him as as um, well, they, well, they had to be killed, I guess the text tells us that. So kill and eat. Well, it wasn't really a picnic blanket, obviously. But notice this, the following animals were forbidden in the law. The camel, for eating, for eating, not for using for other things. The camel, the rock badger, the hare, the pig, uh, anything that lived in water but didn't have fins or scales, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the stork, the heron, the hoopoe, the hoopoe, the bat, there's the bat I was mentioning earlier, various owls, the ostrich, and so on. Leviticus 11 has these details. Those animals God declared off-limits for the Jewish people. I can certainly understand about bats, as I was alluding to earlier. You don't want to mess with bats, all the nasty stuff that you know they have, and We've experienced that the last four years. Evidently, all these and more were on the sheet let down from heaven for Peter to kill and eat. We know based on his response that not all the animals were clean or that, that there were unclean animals. 
And if there were clean types of animals, they were functionally unclean since they were mixed up, matched up with these uh, unclean ones. So God tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So yes, they are pictured as alive. At least some of them are on that sheet. Now, Peter objects to that. He had been an observant Jew all of his life. Always, as we would say today, always kept kosher. Kosher food, kosher preparation. Never the mixed meat and the cheese and you know, uh, never had a, a you know a good piece of pork sausage and a ham sandwich and you know uh, I don't know a camel sandwich or whatever. Never had any of that. No bacon. Yeah, we just had some of that. Actually, we had some sprinkled on our salad. Should I tell you that tonight? It was very tasty. But um, he had been an observant Jew, and so he says, "I've never eaten anything common or unclean." Common is the opposite of sanctified or set apart. So there's, there's common vessels, you know, things you just use, utensils, kitchen things, whatever. And then there are holy or set apart vessels, things that are specially kept ceremonially pure, used for the temple service or whatever. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a ceremonial idea, okay? It's not that you know, when we, we're kind of thinking in a Western scientific mindset, like what, what are there, more, more uh, germs or something, or these aren't prepared the same way or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, pasteurized or something like that, you know, uh, purified that way. In Mark chapter 7, the Bible tells us a, a, an account of when the Pharisees are seeing the disciples eating with unwashed hands. Now, we like to wash our hands before we eat because we understand the germ theory of disease, but it has nothing to do with religious purity. Plenty of times in my life when I've been working or outdoors and can't get to a place where I can wash my hands, guess what I've done? I've eaten with the unwashed hands, and I haven't died from it. I'm still here. (laughs) Um, I remember our brother uh, Phil Harris used to, uh, we would have a picnic from now and again, we were out eating with his family, I think out here in the back, and, you know, there was some situation where the sandwich wasn't exactly uh, the most uh, hygienic, something happened, it fell on the ground or something like that, and he's like, "Ah, that's why God gave us stomach acid, you know, (laughs) like, just, he's a doctor, and uh, just didn't worry about it. Yeah, so, anyway, um, so common or unclean, but that was just a pharisaical tradition of having unwashed hands. And uh, you remember what the Lord taught about that. It's not what that goes in. You know, you eat with dirty hands, you might get sick to your stomach, but that doesn't make you unholy. It's what comes out. It's what's in your heart. It's the mocking. It's the, it's the words against God. It's the, you know, the, the foul language and the lies and the covetousness and the adulteries and all of those things that, are unclean. They come from within, not from without. They need, you need to have a heart cleanse, not a hand cleanse. So he says nothing common or unclean. So opposite of clean is unclean. Uh, something that was unclean could not be touched lest it uh, transmit. Remember Haggai 2, where it says, um, you know, if, if something's clean and it touches something, will the cleanness transmit? No, but if something's unclean and it touches a clean thing, then it becomes unclean as well, and it needs to have a ceremonial cleansing ritual done to it in order to put it back into service for God. Now, God responds to Peter when, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. Verse 13, God gives an instruction. 
Okay, seems outlandish to Peter. So Peter says, no, God, I won't do that, what you just told me to do. Dumb idea. Okay, if God tells you to do something and you're sure that it's not just a voice in your head, you know, your crazy little, you know, little guy standing on your left shoulder there telling you to do stuff that you shouldn't do, but it's really God in his word telling you, don't say no, last thing you want to do. I mean, God gives us the ability to say no, to resist him, but you don't want to be making use of that. It doesn't have a good outcome. But Peter says, no, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, and it says this, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. I envision always this to be God himself speaking to him. Because Peter says, not so, Lord. Uh, I don't think he's speaking to an angel here. But whether it's the Father or the Son, both are equally divine, so it doesn't really matter. But um, God says, uh, you know, what I've cleansed, you must not call common or unclean, I think is implied. Both of those are implied there. So this means that God has declared or made the animals that were on the sheet including the formerly unclean ones. He's made them clean now. Now, let's uh, just pause and think about this, and we're going to kind of iterate on this a minute because it's a hard thing maybe to grasp. The issue in the Old Testament law about food was not a health issue, although avoiding certain animals certainly could be healthy. You know, I mean, people talk about, well, Good they didn't eat pork because of trichinosis. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good they didn't eat bats because of COVID. Uh, okay, that's not the issue really. Um, the issue was separation from the surrounding nations and being set apart to God. Those nations ate those, all those foods, all those strange things, but Jews were to fastidiously avoid them so as to keep a boundary of separation between themselves and the pagans. This was to set them apart for God. There was nothing inherently sinful about pork, for instance. The foods that the pagans ate reminded the Jewish believer that those folks were unclean just like their food was unclean. In other words, what I'm saying is that there's a close connection between the food and the people who ate the food. Now, pause on that thought for a moment. Just hold that. The fact that the vision is repeated three times, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> I think we got, we've got a good line on what that means. First of all, um, I've got three things. The least significant of the three is it, it may be significant that there were three men coming to see Peter, and Peter sees the vision three times. Okay? But more importantly than that, it, this means that the vision was important and certain and God strongly meant what he was saying. So it's kind of like a triple stamp of approval on the message, not just that there were three guys that needed three, you know, three visions to, to help Peter get over the hesitation of going with them. But this was a certain and for sure thing. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph is interpreting the dream of one Pharaoh. 
And in that dream, Pharaoh saw, what did he see? Do you remember? He saw the gaunt and the, the fat and the gaunt cows. And he saw the fat, uh, the, the plump ears of corn and the, and the you know, scraggly ones. And the, and the later ones ate up the earlier ones. So the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Jo- Joseph is saying, look, the two dreams are actually one dream. God repeating the matter in order that you might know that it's certain. He says that there in chapter 41. Let me just read it to cement it for us. Uh, in 41:32, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, similarly to this, there's another example of a thing happening like this in biblical history, and that's in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, again in the context of a dream, it says, Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out without hands, out of the mountain without hands, that broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold, the great God has made known to the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Okay, so he didn't see the dream, you know, twice necessarily there, but... Uh, The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. In any case, God repeated the matter because the thing is established by God. Peter's vision is certain and the interpretation is sure. The third reason that this three repetition, this three-peat is significant is because the matter was very difficult for Peter. Remember, the Lord had previewed this doctrine in his earthly teaching that it wasn't unwashed hands that made somebody unclean it was the interior of the heart what came out of the mouth not what went into the mouth that made one unclean and peter had a whole issue with this food thing you remember in galatians chapter 2 how he used to eat with the jews and or gentiles and then he separated and began to only eat with the jews and paul confronts him about that And you remember what the whole church council was about in Acts 15? You know, you must be circumcised to be saved. You must obey the law of Moses, obviously including the food laws and all of that. And the church had had a rough struggle to figure this out. But in a way, they shouldn't have had that problem because God repeated three times to Peter this vision to make it certain to him that this was not a fluke. This was not just he was too hungry that afternoon and was, you know, low blood sugar and needed to get some food in his system. This was a revelation from heaven, a heavenly disclosure. And in bold print I have in my notes, this is the meaning of it. The food laws are set aside. Okay? Jesus declared all foods clean, Mark chapter 7, 19 and 20. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 16, it says this, uh, 2.16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink in, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath days. Colossians 2.21, Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle you know, those things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Or 1 Peter 4, 3, you know, what people do, 
Paul says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And the whole section of Romans 14 uh, about, you know, somebody eats meat and somebody doesn't eat meat and you've got to be fully convinced in your own mind, that principle that we've learned. Some people think food is impure or common. Um, others don't. But I say this in my notes. Food laws were never laid upon Gentiles in the first place. When did the Gentiles ever have the command that they couldn't eat uh, pork? They didn't. God never gave that to them. You cannot illegitimately transfer the law given to the nation of Israel over onto the Gentiles. Uh, and now, today, law, the laws of food in the Old Testament are not incumbent upon Christians. Those laws are not incumbent upon Jews who become Christians. And those laws are not even incumbent upon Jews who don't become Christians. <laughs> Much to the horror of my friends who might be observant, you know, kosher Jews. That law doesn't apply. You're not in sin if you learn this and you're not violating your conscience and you go ahead and you eat food that Gentiles would eat. Now, food laws are set aside. That's one thing. What is not called out explicitly here in our verses up to 23, but is called out by verse 28, is that it was not just food that was the issue, but the people who ate the food. If the food was unclean, then the people who ate it were unclean as well. But if the food was cleansed, that is not ceremonially defiling anymore, then so were the people who ate it. This freed Peter to, one, share table fellowship with Gentiles, two, to minister to those people who ate that unclean food, and three, to understand that they, too, could be part of the church. Okay, The main point is not food. That is a vehicle to get us to the conclusion that the people who were formerly considered unclean are not unclean. So, the summons for Peter to come to Caesarea. Of course, as with God, timing is perfect. Timing is everything. Just when these guys are approaching the city, just then Peter gets this vision. He could not miss the connection between what God was saying to him and what Cornelius was doing, sending him these messengers. Now, Peter was perplexed initially about what he saw, and he had to think it through, just like we've had to think it through right now. And this is understandable because this is a massive change in God's dealings with mankind. This is why we explain Acts is a transitional book in the Bible. Because directives from the prior dispensation are being set aside as directives are being given for the new dispensation. Are you with me? Things are, things are like the Old Testament and kind of thinking is overlapping and the New Testament thinking is starting. This is going to come down, you know, and the New Testament thinking and revelation is going up as we get through the New Testament epistles. So major change. I mean, you have to realize, just from your perspective, if you, um, 
you know, went to sleep tonight and, uh, you know, you were, uh, whatever that you have that sleeping disease and, uh, you can't wake up until the tribulation is over and the kingdom has come and you wake up and, uh, this church doesn't look like it used to look and the world doesn't look like it used to look and the religious situation is different and Jesus is in Jerusalem reigning and you're like, you know, that's a, you've just passed through the transition without getting kind of up to speed on what was happening. And you might say, well, I like the way we used to do things. I'm used to that. I mean, this is a major change. And so you can imagine how much of a, a shift in the thinking that it takes to get this to happen, to get that to happen in the mind of Peter. So the spirit of God guides Peter about the three men and said, you know, hey, go with them. Don't doubt. Just go right ahead. It's no problem. So Peter inquires, uh, why have you come? And they explained about Cornelius. They said that he fears God. He's a just man. He has a good reputation. Uh, remind yourself of everything we looked at last week in chapter 10, 1 through 8. You know, Peter, or, uh, uh, Cornelius was devout, a good man, gave alms to God, all of that sort of thing. Very good example for us. They told about how the angel had instructed Cornelius to send for Peter and obviously their understanding was Peter you're going to come you're going to tell us something uh, that we need to hear nothing else will do so now it's past meal time probably Peter's late because he's addressing these people at the door and so Peter invites them in probably gathers a few things for the travel and the next day off they went um, and it says in uh, verse 23 Peter went away with them on that next day, and some brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So they were going to be witnesses of what was going to happen in Caesarea. And witnesses they needed. Peter needed those witnesses. Um, for Peter even to go with these men was a big step for him. Okay, It wasn't like it was a step like if I were to send three strangers to Jansen's house and say, Jansen, you have to come now. And he's like, uh, okay, uh, see you later, Kaylee. <laughs> I'm going. I don't know who these guys are, but I'm going to leave. I'm going on faith. It wasn't like, the, you know, the stranger danger kind of thing. It was like, these guys are Gentiles. They're bringing me to some centurion. Uh, what's going on here? You know, why, well, how can I go with them? They're unclean people. I don't fellowship really with that kind of person. God's told them that's all gone. History, finished. Don't think about that. So when I preached this before, the question came up again, how is this? What is the meaning of this? And how do you make this connection? Um, does the vision really mean food, or is it just referring to men? And I think the answer is God did cleanse the food, the animals. And by so doing, he also cleansed something more important the people who were characterized by participating in that food and from whom the Jews were to separate themselves. They are not to be considered unclean just because of their food consumption or their, their race or ethnicity or their connection with Gentiles. Now, whether we understand that or not is not the issue. We need to understand it, sure. But the main issue is that Peter did understand it because in 1028, after being perplexed and after wondering about it and after thinking about it, he says in 1028, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
And the Spirit of God told him to go without doubting anything. Don't be doubting about this. You've got it. You know the lesson now. There's no question at all what the meaning of this is. Now, if God cleansed the animals, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to use an argument like Paul used in 1 Corinthians 9 9. In 1 Corinthians 9 9, Paul says, Don't muzzle the ox as it treads the grain. He's talking about supporting ministers of the gospel. And he makes this comment. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? And so I would say the same thing is happening here with the unclean animals. God's showing they're they're now clean. But is it really animals that God is concerned about? (laughs) No, it's people. These people were going to be fully cleansed by the gospel of Christ. Now, a couple of comments just to to kind of bolster this. Uh, Homer Kent, in his commentary, Jerusalem to Rome, which is his commentary on Acts, says this, On the surface, the vision seems to mean that the Mosaic laws of ritual cleanliness were no longer to be observed. But was this all that was implied? By instructing Peter to go with the three Gentiles, the Holy Spirit enabled Peter to draw his own conclusion about these Gentiles. If the food laws of the Jews are no longer valid, there is no reason to avoid social contact with Gentiles, for those distinctions of food lay at the heart of Jewish clannishness, or tribalism is what it means. Ryrie says this in his Acts of the Apostles, He was pondering the meaning of the vision, which was simply that unclean Gentiles were now to be cleansed by the gospel of Christ. Or Pole Hill in a New American Commentary says this, Some scholars feel that Peter's vision dealt more with food laws than with interaction with Gentiles. But this is to overlook the fact that the two, that is food laws and interaction with Gentiles, are inextricably related. In Leviticus 20, the laws of clean and unclean are linked precisely to Israel's separation from the rest of the nations. That is critical theology to get a hold of to understand this properly. That connection, that was a, there was a disconnection between Israel and the nations because God was separating them apart in one way based on food, their food uh, restrictions. The Jewish food laws presented a real problem for Jewish Christians in outreach to Gentiles. One simply could not dine in a Gentile's home without inevitably transgressing those laws, either by consumption of unclean flesh or of flesh that had not been prepared in a kosher, that is, ritually proper manner. I mean, how are you going to go into a Gentile home who has no concept of kosher, no kosher dishes, no kosher methods, no kosher salt, no kosher nothing, (laughs) and get a meal that's, you're not. Uh, So Jesus dealt with the problem of clean and unclean, insisting that external things like foods did not defile a person, but the internals of heart and speech and thought render one truly unclean, Mark chapter 7. In Mark 7, 19, Mark added the parenthetical comment that Jesus, saying, ultimately declared all foods to be clean. This was precisely the point of Peter's vision. God declared the unclean to be clean. How can God do that? Because he's God. Simple. 
It was a time now. He, not only he's God and you have some raw appeal to authority, you have that. But you also have that history has progressed now, so God has taken the nation of Israel in kind of infancy stage in, in under tutors and in, in, uh, teachers, and now he's moving the world into the next phase of uh, young adulthood, if you will. Galatians talks about that kind of illustration. So God declared the unclean to be clean. In Mark 7, Jesus' teaching on clean-unclean was immediately followed by his ministry to a Gentile woman. Just as Peter's vision regarding clean and unclean was followed by his witness to a Gentile, it's simply not possible to fully accept someone with whom you are unwilling to share in the intimacy of table fellowship. The early church had to solve the problem of kosher food laws in order to launch a mission to the Gentiles. Purity distinctions and human discrimination are of a single piece. I think that comment is very telling there in the, uh, that Paul Hill makes. Say you go to somebody and you say, hey, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved and uh, you'll be part of the church. And, oh, by the way, I can't eat a meal with you because you're unclean. <laughs> Table fellowship is an essential part of Christian life. We made that, I made that clear in my mind, and I hope we made that clear during the pandemic when everybody wanted to shut everything down. Not only is gathering for worship, but gathering for fellowship together is essential to the life of the church. It is a religious function, if I can say it that way. Gathering around the Lord's table, gathering around the food tables in the fellowship hall, gathering around for worship. That's all part of being a Christian. You can't be a Christian and say, I'm not going to share table fellowship with X, Y, and Z. That's unchristian, fundamentally unchristian. And so God has to exterminate this discriminatory idea that became, it became a separation from pagan, I'm sorry, it started as a separation from paganism. It became ethnic animosity between Jews and Gentiles and Gentiles and Jews over the course of history, as normally is the case with sinful people with others who are different than they are. <laughs> uh, God's not going to have any of that. So I know we've gone late tonight, but uh, thank you for putting up with my enjoyment of my preaching here, <laughs> enjoying this passage of Scripture. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless tonight these ones who are here. Help us to be on our way safely home. For those that are online, thank you for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen.